Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost. Though it's after the end, there's still more to talk about. Of course, nobody does it alone. Joining me today is my podcasting pal from the PH Geek Pop Culture Podcast, as well as the forthcoming Star Trek Essentials Podcast. Why, it's none other than Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Thanks for having me back, Matt. Absolutely. It's fantastic to have you here. I know a while ago we had discussed, uh, actually, it was your idea. I was saying, Pete, I have this... uh, you know, I have this kind of space in between when I run out of episodes and I'm so close to uh, to 8.15. Uh, you know, I've been releasing episodes Thursday nights just because that's what I had chosen to do. There was no particular reason other than I was like, oh, I think people will like to download it on a Friday and I, they'll do it Thursday night, you know. And then to see, oh, 8.15 is a, fr- is a Thursday. I can release the last episode. And I'm oh so close. I finish in July and then... And then what? Oh, there'll be new man in charge. There'll be a final wrap up. And then you said, "Hey, how about how about we discuss the music?" So, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you know seeing what uh, what we're going to be talking about. Um, these today, I should say, for these uh, for for this episode, we'll be talking about the music from seasons one through three. And uh, I guess with that, Pete, what is well? Do you do you want to say anything before we uh, before we formally get going here? Any kind of initial thoughts about the music of the show? I mean, it's a show we're both very passionate about. I mean, geez, Matt, you've spent how long, how many weeks here uh, consecutively um, <clears throat> re-watching and, and podcasting this show. Um, I, I feel the music is such an integral part of this show. Um, in fact, I feel it's the greatest TV soundtrack ever, start to finish. And you look at the work that uh, Giacchino is doing now, Star Trek films. He was he won an Oscar for Up. Um, you know they caught him at just the right time in his ascendancy, and that he was able to stick through them throughout the run. And you know, with small exception, the music gets better and better and better as you go along. But it was a perfect storm, just like the show. Um, you know, taking off at the right time. The music is itself, however, a character. Um, I feel very much that, uh, you know, and, and they talked about Lindelof and Cuse would talk about how they would merely write in a script, you know, Giacchino plays the moment or whatever. They trusted him to that level and he really did deliver. Um, but the music functions as its own character throughout the course of the six seasons, culminating uh, tremendously uh, in the end. Yeah. I mean, to think that this guy, uh, I, I believe this is accurate to say, I mean, I know he kind of met JJ Abrams and bad robot, uh, on alias, but I think before alias, his claim to fame was like, I did the track for metal gear solid or call of duty, something or other, you know, like he kind of, I think had done a little TV here and there, but certainly week, you know, week by week stuff. Uh, alias was the first bit. And, Nobody kind of talks about the Alias uh, score, maybe just because it was a little bit less uh, or, or substantially less grand in its scope in terms of you know, number of characters and, and so forth. But boy, oh boy, you're not kidding. I mean, the, there's no way you're going to get this guy now to do uh, 20 episodes a season, not with, you know, not with uh, the what I'm sure is the much more lucrative uh, business of doing movie scores out there. So. I mean, listen, he's the heir apparent to John Williams, um, given that, you know, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams have, you know, snatched up the, the Star Wars gig. 
you know, John Williams can't go, Michael Giacchino will, and I can't say that I've never felt better about that. You know, John Williams, he's the man, and, um, you know, he's the guy that all these guys, you know, uh, really owe their careers to, and that, um, now let's hope uh, Johnny Boy at the spry age of 80-plus uh, here can uh, – can at least get the first one in, if not several of them, you know, you got to feel pretty good that, you know, Giacchino's in the bullpen as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. Nothing, you know, no, no ill will towards the amazing John Williams, but you know, the end comes for all of us. And, you know, if you're doing three more Star Wars movies in the next 10 years, you know, you have to, as you say, a bullpen is not a bad, uh, well, I don't want to say not a bad place to be because obviously n- nobody wishes any ill will against John Williams. But, yeah, he's he's the number two guy in a spot that might be available in the next 10 years or might not be. So on that rather happy note, Pete, <laughs> um, what's the first track that you have selected for us? Well, I think we got to begin at the beginning with the main title credit music, uh, which is credited to J.J. Abrams. He has frequently been involved um, with the TV productions that he's done with um, the music. Um, He did the music for Fringe, their opening uh, sequence, and he is also credited with uh, the music here for the main title of Lost. Uh, By the way, Matt, you're aware, of course, of the alternate credit sequence. Have you ever seen the alternate lost credit sequence actually i have not no i'm not uh, i'm not familiar with that at all do tell wow they 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 filmed two um they did the you know traditional black and white lost you know um atmospheric music as the camera pans in on the on the logo and they said, well, you know, we, we need a backup, uh, you know, don't know if that's going to be the most uh, sellable idea. So they filmed one that basically is the perspective of heading towards the island and clips of different characters in the shadow of the island. And it's really oh, not good. <laughs> it sounds it's not like, good it, at all. It, it sounds <laughs> like a 2000s version of some of those. Uh, some of those jokey credit sequences that you'll see online where it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Uh, we'll take Fringe, for example. Not that I've seen one specifically from Fringe, but it'll be like Fringe 90s credit sequence. And it'll be like where they're looking their best in this like, you know, upbeat pop song, you know, and kind of like close up of Anatorv and close up of other guy. And it's like with their names beneath kind of very like like friends or like that kind of show. So I, th- that's what that sounds like. It sounds awful. It's pretty bad. Have you seen the fringe opening uh, title sequence? Uh, I, I have. It hasn't been okay. in, in quite some time, but the, the they, vaunted they, one. They later went to, they, they did some alternate ones along the way, which, you know, was well done, you know, in, in keeping with the narrative of the show, you know, they, they do one in 1985 with 1985, ideas and technology and and midi style music okay so so they they do it backwards and then they did another one um later on that i don't want to uh spoil for anybody but uh was pretty well done well pete with that should we take a listen to that uh main title sequence cue it up 
I mean, it really is so iconic, Pete. It's, uh, I don't know. It's so simple, but I think it just kind of, it, it captures the, um, you know, the mystery of it all. And, uh, you know, a definitely a good musical way to start every episode. For sure. And, you know, avant-garde, even for 2004, but it set the tone right from the get-go. You know, it captured that mystery early on. Um, along with much of, you know, this um, first season soundtrack. You know, later on, we're going to talk about the Wagnerian technique of leitmotif and the recurrent themes that were done throughout the series um, that they really did on a smaller basis in obviously a, a smaller sample size in the first season. But, you know, they they went with a lot of, uh, you know, atmospheric stuff um, early on because they wanted to showcase the weirdness, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess on that uh, on that note, no pun intended, Pete, as we stay here in the uh, the season one music, what's next? Well, we're going to take a listen to um, what is track four on the season one uh, soundtrack, which uh, I call the lost theme is the, um, you know, the recurrent uh, theme throughout, you know, all six seasons, um, which is called credit where credit is due. All right, let's take a listen. I mean, Pete, certainly that's that's so evocative of kind of the the you know the post crash uh, feeling of the show. It's the music isn't a letdown, but I think that it's a little bit of a, a of an emotional letdown, or that's kind of the purpose that it's serving there to just kind of be like, yeah, they're here. This is you know this is really happening. Definitely, and you know it's just the the nature of the melody really helps you to understand and empathize i think um you know what the survivors were going through um you know being alone i think it speaks to isolation as well isolation within a group um and no wonder that Giacchino employs it at various times and then again the wonderful variation the, the numerous variations that he would do with it, you know, play it fast, slow it down, break it up, you know, um, incorporate another theme inside or alongside of it, you know, really, really brilliantly done. The fact, too, that he was, you know, the the turnaround for some of this stuff had to have been quick. Oh, it's, uh, it's stunning to think how quickly... You know, again, any composer worth his salt is going to have stuff in a drawer and you're waiting for a moment to use that, um, you know, and, and I'm sure this guy is prolific, but just the volume of original music produced for this show on a week to week basis was really stunning. Is all of it memorable? No, we're going to touch a little bit on that today. Um 
but certainly the the larger themes you know this this stuff is it's referenced today nearly 10 years after uh the pilot and it'll be referenced uh down the road well with that pete speaking of uh, the road and traveling what's next um, we're going to take a listen to the traveling, what I call the traveling theme, which on uh, the first uh, season soundtrack is track six, Hollywood and Vines. Pete, as you say, I mean, certainly so, so memorable, just, you know, uh, I mean, it's kind of difficult to to come up with words almost. It's just, you know, that's that's the well that Giacchino keeps going back to. No uh, Desmond pun intended. Right. Um, just, you know, it's time for that big moment of important things are happening and they're on the move. It, that just that it's captures moving it so music. Well. That's what it is. It's, yeah. it's time to move. You know, all right, they're going someplace. You know, it's referenced in the pilot. It's referenced in the finale. Yeah. Yeah, indeed it is. There's a there's a lovely helicopter shot i think when it's uh, perhaps last used where uh you have jack and sawyer and kate and hurley heading off to uh to meet with smoky lock and his and his group there so mm-hmm. with that pete what is next we're going to take a listen to uh what a lot of people call the death theme um in really two forms we're going to listen first to uh track 10 from season one which is called win one for the reaper and then we'll listen to track 20 uh which again speaks to the recurrent nature here of what jacchino's doing which is very plainly titled life and death side note those good old uh Giacchino titles there some of which get to uh i don't know i think he means them to be great wordplay sometimes they're not great wordplay <laughs> I would agree. I know um, with his producers, they they kick them out um, and they try to pick the best ones. It kind of makes <laughs> you wonder sometimes which which ones didn't measure up. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, as you say, let's take a listen to win one for the Reaper.
Pete, as you as you say, I mean, just so absolutely uh, kind of evocative of the the loss that goes on, uh, not just in the episode this is from, not just season one, but kind of the the loss experienced in the show as a whole. The thing that the producers talked a lot about early on in the show is that there is a price for living or attempt to live on the island. And this was before they had killed any of the regular cast off. Um, And to see that and to know that when you heard this music, it speaks to the consequences of being on the island that they weren't pulling any punches. They didn't kill characters to kill characters. I really feel that, you know, other than Mr. Echo, um, the, the deaths were meaningful and even his to a certain extent. You know, other than the fact that the the actor pretty much wrote himself out of the show, yeah. but um, you know that music has weight beyond the music of itself. If that makes sense, you know, you know, someone is in peril if not they're dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, speaking of dead, you had paired track 20, Life and Death, uh, with uh, the one we just heard. Uh, before we hear Life and Death, why did you, uh, why did you choose these kind of two as a pair? Again, speaking to the, the variation, same theme, done a little differently, done episodes apart, coming back to that idea to represent the consequence of the island. little bit kind of a almost a very well i guess you could say fairly that's kind of a, a variation on the theme there but uh, a little bit more lush a little bit more uh slow to it a little bit more uh the word passion comes to mind i don't mean that kind of in a you know spring break you know hootenanny kind of way but kind of <laughs> there, there there's there's a heartfeltness to it that uh that is added there Listen, the last thing I'm ever going to uh, profess to be is someone with any kind of musical talent. I play no instruments, um, you know, never had any lessons, anything like that. Always want to wanted to play the piano, still hoping to learn at some point. Um, but the idea here that, uh, you know, you, you hear the same music done a little differently, you know, um, some of the the same types of instruments that idea um and you know you know from jaws you know from indiana jones i mean you get outside of of john williams you know you you talk a, a jerry goldsmith 
and his his son, or you talk a, a a Horner who is you know still pumping out the same score essentially in different <laughs> movies. Um, Oftentimes in the same key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing, you know my concepts of key and things like that are extraordinarily limited. So I don't want to insult your audience, Matt, of, you know, intelligent music people. Um, I'm just a fan of this music and I, I just know it really well. <laughs> I just, I don't know the, 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 uh, the musical techniques so much as the thematic techniques. Well, certainly uh, well said. And I think, you know, Giacchino, works uh on such a thematic level um uh, to go back to the comment about horner working the same key uh for a second i remember way back early when i had my you know first computer at home or whatever and you could kind of you know download sound files that were a whopping 10 seconds long or that kind of thing um i remember discovering that uh part of james horner's uh rocketeer theme as it kind of built 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 to a crescendo you could splice in uh the crescendo from i think one of the horner's star trek scores um at the same you know at the crescendo so you kind of do rocketeer build 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 and then star trek after the crescendo and it worked 100 percent, which was cool when i'm like in my you know mid or late teens but i look back now i'm kind of like wait the same pace and beat and rhythm and tempo and musical key it's the same for two different movies whereas yeah. i think with with Giacchino, you know as as i'm sure hopefully everybody listening knows each of the the seasonal theme music that i've done each season for looking back at lost it's been different uh different Giacchino scores not from lost and I think there's a certain degree where kind of, I mean, look, I don't choose, you know, just stuff that he's written that's completely out there or unrelated to Lost. You know, it's not some kind of, uh, for example, the, his score from The Incredibles is very John Barry, jazzy, early 60s. And that's that's by by his design. But like, you know, none of those ever fix. It's always very. But bottom line is you can find Giacchino stuff. I've used Giacchino stuff. I've found Giacchino stuff that sounds, you know, upbeat, up-tempo, you know, or mysterious or whatever, but it doesn't sound, it's not da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, it's it's completely different from the Lost repertoire, which I think is the, the biggest credit you can give to him, that the mm-hmm. stuff he writes doesn't, Lost stuff sounds like Lost, but then you, you know, you hear his his Oscar-winning score for uh, for Up, and you're not like, oh, that sounds like the monster. That sounds like Jack. It's completely different. Right. I mean, um, one of my favorite pieces that uh, he did is the only piece of music produced for the Cloverfield movie. It's the 12-minute credit sequence music um, that is an homage to um, Godzilla-type monster movies. Uh, it's called Roar. It's brilliant. And um, do you hear some Lost in it? Of course. You know, they they tend to work with the, the same types of cues, but it, it, at the same time is so different in, in scope, in size, in flavor from so much of what is done on, on Lost. And, you know, I, I think he's really, uh, you know, chameleon-esque and how he's able to do that, you know, he can control a scene, but not overpower a scene. Mm. 
Whereas I think, you know, some of the other ones we're talking about, sometimes they tend to dominate a little bit more than maybe intended. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect to John Williams, a scene that comes to mind uh, in Return of the Jedi when uh, towards the end when when uh, Luke is kind of uh, has been goaded into uh you know, going towards the darkness and there's kind of the the fight with Darth Vader where you're like, no, you're not supposed to fight him because he's, you're being evil. You know, the John Williams score there is, I mean, it's the, I think it's the only time or it's one of the few times where uh, over a fight uh, there's uh, John Williams music, at least over a lightsaber fight or there's some sort of stat that you can probably correct me on. But bottom line is, on the one hand, I'm criticizing him for overpowering the scene. Flip side is they said, hey, John Williams, you know how you usually don't write music for stuff like this? It's really important. Write music that captures the whole pathos of how he's going down the wrong path and all that. So anyhow, that comes to mind for kind of a scene where it's music at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, that uh, diatribe behind us, uh, Pete, <laughs> <laughs> what's next? We're going to take a listen to... Um what I think is a theme that really gets at the exploration of the island and really kind of the wonder of the whole premise of the show, which is track 13 for season one uh, entitled Naval Gazing. Good job with the title there, Jaquino. Let's listen. Pete, there's kind of a light, lovely air to that. Uh, I'll confess, I don't remember exactly what uh, what particular scene or episode that that's capturing. Do you by any chance remember? I don't. Um, I can tell you that they reuse that quite a bit, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you recognize it. Um, but in listening to the soundtrack, it was the first time it appeared. That's what I tried to do with so many of these, um, you know, early on was to locate you know, the first moment on the scores that we hear them. Uh, definitely, definitely a lovely piece. And a quick little jaunt over to the uh, the ever useful Lostpedia uh, says that it, this plays when Kate and Sawyer go swimming. Okay. Uh, so I believe that's when uh, Sawyer strips off his shirt and Kate is swimming in uh, just a, a tank top and pantaloons. So navel gazing indeed uh from that uh highbrow remark of mine pete what's next uh what i like to believe is Locke's theme um which is uh track 19 for season one and this is entitled locked out again uh i get it because it's locked and it's locked out yeah uh. he's locked out Thank you. 
definitely a, a mournful quality to that, certainly uh, befitting, well, so much of Locke's life, I mean, particularly Locke uh, early on in the series, but, you know, I'd argue uh, Locke, uh, you know, as I said, Locke for, for most of his time on the show. Well, this is the music when, um, you know, he's he's banging his hand on top of the hatch and it turns on at the end. Um, it's the episode where we learn what his uh, father did to him. And, um, you know, it, it really speaks to the despair, the frustration, but ultimately the hope with the light coming from inside the hatch. And it's carried throughout the series wonderfully absolutely uh what have you paired with that it's going to be another variation of that theme um which happens just a couple tracks later track 22 which uh the rather groan inducing shenanigans shannon yes you said that correctly i I I wanted to somehow force it uh (laughs) elsewhere but here's shenanigans a rather a rather nice ending to that kind of uh you know spare and empty uh uh desolate Mm -hmm. it's a great theme i mean so many of these themes speak so well you know i say the music is a character unto itself and then the way it carries particular characters and you hear that music it's that's lock now speaking of characters this next piece of music is one that I remember. Uh, I don't want to say I dislike the music. It's use in the show, whether this is a Giacchino decision, whether this is a, you know, a Lindelof and Cuse, here's what we want, go do this. We don't care that you, you know, we're not asking you for your opinion, go give us this kind of thing. But Pete, I know I, I don't like how this next piece is used. What is it? This is uh, I've Got a Plane to Catch, and this is track 24 of season one. This is a Hurley uh, joint, and it's really unorthodox compared to everything that we've played so far. It's really bouncy and jaunty. Um, It's meant to obviously bring the mood up. Um, I, I would argue a little more effective than maybe you would at doing that, um, but it's certainly different. Well, everybody get ready for some Latin flavor here and take a listen.
piece, part of what's great about the track as a piece of music by itself is that it does build and build and build as you just heard it starts out with it with its own kind of flavor then boom it's just take it to the next level you know increase the volume increase the happiness i have to admit separated from the episode i perhaps am liking it a bit more than than how it's used in the episode um what would you like to add about that particularly uh i think as you said bouncy track I think it it was really influenced too by the location. You know, I I tend to think of Hawaii there more than uh, Australia when I hear it. I I think they really yeah. allowed that to seep into the show, and that's what I hear more so than you know. All right, he's in Australia and got to catch a plane, and he's late. That's a really good point, and there certainly are times throughout the show where. It's like, oh, there they are in Los Angeles with those white powder beaches and palm trees. And you go, oh, well, Los Angeles does have beaches, does have palm trees. But yeah, that's a very Hawaii-esque sound to it. Um, you know, maybe Hawaii meets uh, meets kind of a, a Latin flavor. I, I guess my, you know, I never liked it when the show kind of treated Hurley as the clown. Um when they pushed that, I mean, I think he's a naturally funny character, a naturally funny actor. But when it's like, you know, let's let's go for the silly, I feel like it's kind of pushed a bit too far. Um, and maybe that's kind of coloring uh, what should be an independent appreciation of, of just the music. So, But he's a sad clown, Matt, particularly when we're talking, you know, opera-esque, operatic type of music here. And I think they hit that range. Yes, I will. I certainly don't want to suggest that Hurley is ever um, musically or or in any other way in the show presented as um, as a one note character. No pun intended. Certainly, he's a fully formed character with you know highs and lows and happiness and sympathy and and heroism and all that. But to the point that the show could use him as a clown, I never quite you know liked it when they when they did much of it, but. Uh, with that, Pete, as we we're starting to wrap up the season one music here, uh, what's next? We've got uh, track 26 from season one, which uh, really, to my mind, is uh, probably the second greatest moment of the first season. This is when the raft launches and really made it unforgettable. Um, parting words.
I think part of what makes that so absolutely fantastic, and I think you could make the argument that for the highest of the highs in that track, uh, that it's, you know, perhaps the best moment of perhaps the best moment of music in the show, perhaps the, the, the most hopeful that the show is uh, in general, where you just honestly believe at that moment, granted, you know, maybe with the willful suspension of disbelief, if you're a repeat viewer that like, Hey, maybe they really will get off the Island now. Um, just the highest highs, but then that ending there that of course is, is mirrored in the, um, in the, the writing and the story as well, where it's just that kind of, you know, uh, you know, there there's a storm coming. There still is a problem ahead. There still is trouble out there, and uh, the music just captures that so so well. Definitely, I I think you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> wow, well, thank you, Pete. <laughs> uh, with that, Pete, what do you have to wrap us up for season one here? It's the final track. Um, don't have the number, um, but I can tell you that it's Oceanic eight fifteen, and this was used as the end of season uh melody and really uh, a montage they they did this you know most effectively um you know in the first season I, I think they did it effectively during subsequent seasons but i think this became a calling card you know as the first season went on where they would close the show with just a musical montage no sound um and do it quite powerfully and this leaves us looking down into the hatch at the end of season one Yeah, definitely just a big kind of roaring, biting end there, uh, which I think mirrors how people felt at the end of the first season. <laughs> um, some of whom were like, what? You're not going to wrap everything up perfectly for me? You're going to actually end mid-scene? Um, <laughs> if that upsets you, then the music only reinforces kind of the what might be perceived as a slap in the face. I think, too, you know, one thing that kept me coming back to the show, you know, not that I ever, you know, faltered, but the music, I, I wanted to hear more of it. I wanted to hear, you know, the, the favorites, yet I wanted to hear what he was going to add to it or change to it. And, you know, um, 
it, it is done more effectively than that track in subsequent seasons, but only because he builds upon what he did there. That's the foundation. Yeah. Well, with that, we have season one done. What's the first uh, the first selection that you've uh, curated from the season two disc? That would be track two. And this is peace through superior firepower. Again, quite different from what we've heard before. You know, Pete, in the beginning of the um, the beginning of that clip, there kind of the swirling strings, and again, you know, I I, I have uh, a limited musical background. I hope probably swirling strings isn't the right word, but um, there's a little bit of kind of the uh, in the beginning of season six where the camera goes down into the water and you see the uh, you see the island underwater. Mm-hmm. The the swirling strings there reminded me of that a little bit, just kind of with the yeah. plunging, swirling chaos of it all. And, you know, the movement of the camera, you know, that music is is from um, inside the hatch after the the hatch has been blown off. And it's from Desmond's perspective. It's it's coming up and then shooting back up, looking at Jack and and Locke looking in. So it's really the mirror uh, reflection of the Oceanic 815 that we listened to previously. Oh, good observation there. Well, Pete, continuing on, uh, this next track, I'm a little confused. Is this uh, looking at the music of Lost, or we have we moved across the Netflix aisle to uh, a track from Arrested Development? Well, for my my next trick, Matt, I mean, illusion, Matt, illusion, <laughs> okay? Tricks are for kids. Um, we're going to take a look at the final countdown, which is track three from season two, and this is really a uh, again a uh, a montage style um, piece that was laid over the first encounter with the button and uh, going down to almost zero. Well, showing my effortless sense of both wordplay and uh, great wordplay, I'll now push the button for us to hear the music. Pete, from that track, I'm getting kind of tension and and uh, mystery, certainly stuff that Giacchino trades in often. But uh, what made you pick it for our discussion today? I just feel it's so emblematic of the first four episodes of season two um, with the whole button inside the hatch story that it it demanded to be included here. Now, Pete, with this next track, uh, World's Worst Landscaping, which is track four from the season two disc, uh, this is part of the 
continuous and ongoing Jakino habit of uh, world's worst blank, world's best blank. Uh, I'm assuming you didn't choose it just for reasons of his uh, uh, not great wordplay. No, beginning with the second season, um, I hesitate to use the word secondary, um, but other characters receive their own themes as the cues expanded. And this is the first example of the Hurley theme, which we hear again and again throughout subsequent seasons. that certainly jumps out in my mind as kind of you know the hurley theme that kind of slightly dark but still kind of herky-jerky silly clown uh theme that i also kind of associate with not being particularly a view of hurley that i like but i guess uh it does speak to his kind of goofy manner at times nonetheless well i know the clip that it is from on the show is when him and the buddy from Mr. Clucks decorate the, um, the lawn <clears throat> with the gnomes, hence the landscaping, uh, <laughs> illusion there. Uh, I guess the cut is better than the, uh, the title scene itself. <laughs> or the scene itself. I mean, it's a fun scene. That's a, that's a fun flashback. Um, and certainly, you know, it, it reminds me of kind of the the plain life that Hurley had before winning the lottery and whatnot. But uh, um, oh, a fun, a fun addition. What's next? Uh, next um, is really, again, the Hawaiian flavor and another Hurley track. This is track five from season two, Hurley's Handouts. Pete, what a what a lovely track! So memorable there from when uh, Hurley, you know, is showing his uh, his early protector cred and uh, doesn't know what to do with uh, the stuff from the uh, the Dharma palette and just ends up kind of altruistically handing it out. And uh, 
that's a track I can get behind. That's a Hurley track I can enjoy. He takes care of people. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked about it before on your show, Matt. Um, when Lost ended, I had a luau at my place. You and I did not know one another just yet. Otherwise, you certainly would have been there. But I made a, um, I made a musical, uh, a score, uh, background music uh, soundtrack for while we were enjoying dinner before the finale came on. And uh, that was certainly one of the included tracks. Pete, in that dark period before I knew you, I kind of like to think of this my own flash sideways. And one day, suddenly, ah, there, I, I snapped into uh, the, the brilliance of your, of your orbit. Yes, something like that. <laughs> um anyhow what's next um in stark contrast to uh what we just listened to this is track seven uh which seizes upon the crash of the tail section that began um i believe episode seven just another day on the beach that of course from uh, the other 48 days one of my all-time favorite episodes and just that you know it certainly brings back the opening to that episode where you just see you know the the wonderful quiet beach and then it kind of uh, increasingly besmirched by uh by the tail section end of uh the crash day activities yeah i mean you have the silence at the beginning and then you hear you know everything hit and then when we come back you know, the, in the panic and everything there, that is the, uh, the music that's played over that, um, you know, Anna Lucia rescuing, you know, the, the children and echo and, you know, all our friends from the tail section. Season two really to, to me is the height of, uh, the show's mystery. I mean, I think each season has its, has its wonderful parts, but just season two, you're full on like, uh, we got 20 plus episodes. Let's take forever to get into the hatch. Let's take forever to get into this tail section. Let's take forever with Bernard. And it's just it's just such a complete, if not strung out and, and drawn out a joy that season is. It's good. It's good. For, for my money, you know, I prefer season one to season two, but I, I definitely like season two. 
Of course, one of the uh, the highlights, at least let's say in the first third or so of season two, is when the tribes merge, and that's the uh, the next track, track nine from the uh, the season two disc. So let's take a listen. It's almost a, a, a visceral reaction I get listening to that. I mean, just that's such a fantastic uh, climax to the episode there. Um, it, of course, coming on the heels of, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying, in the previous episode you saw Shannon shot, then you didn't, I mean, you saw Anna Lucia, and then you get the flashback, you know, then you get the other 48 days, and then it's like you realize, oh my goodness, we're in this episode the other 48 days we're now seeing that from the other perspective and it's just all of a sudden these two storyline storylines just crashing together and the music captures that so well yes i mean between this track and the next one we're going to be playing Chikino uses a lot of discordant sounds to really shock you you know to get you into those moments here next one up is uh track 20 so down the line quite a bit uh, the Toxic Avenger. I think your word discordant really uh, hits the nail on the head there. It's kind of, you know, uh, a little bit uh, intentionally ear piercing and kind of, you know, there's a wobbly off kilter sense to it. That music is from um, the sequence, very, you know, out of character for the show sequence where Desmond um, falls off the boat and then lands on the island and is dragged to safety. And it occurs over um, that sequence and, you know, really feels different from, you know, what the show had shown us before. And I think Chikino wisely sets a different tone. <clears throat> Absolutely. It's such a, you know, such kind of a trippy scene almost, you know, kind of the, the camera is blurry and you see Kelvin dressed in the, uh, the protective gear there. So, Pete, looking ahead, now we have the uh, the theme for Rose and Bernard.
Pete, I'd like to uh, kind of put forth a question here as the Rose and Bernard music wraps up. I, I had said uh, in the finale part one podcast that that in my opinion, Rose and Bernard were the most, um, on a certain level, the most beloved, purely beloved characters in the series. We might have more favorite characters or characters that we root for more, or cried for more, that sort of thing. But kind of there's such a... Um, the characters of Rose and Bernard are so kind of unbesmirched by, you know, uh, personal, you know, it's not the father issues. It's not on the run. It's not I take drugs. It's they're kind of just so um, sent, you know, s- such centered characters, particularly once they're they're uh, brought back together that I, I guess they're kind of the only characters on the show that really there's nothing wrong with. I mean, yes, there's Rose's cancer and all that, but there's not some sort of lurking, you know, oh, I killed a man, that kind, of, that sort of thing. Right. I, I hesitate to use one-dimensional, um, you know, but they're without flaws. They're not fully, you know, uh, fleshed out. Um, and I do like that we came back to them uh, in the end to get an idea of, how they wound up and that she's still alive. Um, and, you know, you could have seen in, in a, in an alternate reality where, you know, they took control of the Island, um, you know, because they certainly are worthy of its uh, magical qualities. And, you know, Rose is a beneficiary of that and Bernard by her, you know, uh, saving um, he gets that as well. Now, Pete, the next track that you have selected here is McGale's Navy, uh, which initially I was like, I didn't quite get the wordplay. It is, of course, <laughs> referring to uh, the reveal that uh, Henry Gale is uh, is someone else. Henry Gale is, uh, you know, the the guy in charge of all these others and, and the, yes. the, the boss man. Um, what would you like to say about it before we uh, take a listen? We get this on that little pier. And, um, you know, seeing him come up uh, for the first time with his people, with the others, you know, as um, Jack, Kate, Sawyer and Hurley are unmasked and, you know, you thought he was in charge before, but you knew he was in charge now. And, um, you know, shortly around this time, um, it was announced that. Um, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams were going to do the Star Trek reboot and of all the music put out to this point I got such a vibe of wow that sounded like old school 1960s TV show Star Trek music it's very evocative of that uh, for me wow well with that with that uh, thunderous introduction let's take a listen
certainly does have a, a power to it and a, uh, uh, you know, the, the trombones there really are uh, kind of selling the, the ominous nature of it all. That's uh, that's quite a good pick there, Pete. Thank you. I mean, they've all been, don't get me wrong, they've all been great, but that, uh, <laughs> I didn't know kind of that there was this, this backstory almost uh, between, uh, I don't want to say between you and the music, but kind of, right. you know, that your kind of uh, particular appreciation for that, that was, uh, that was quite a, quite a good choice. Uh, with that, as we kind of start to, to wrap up here with the last uh, four or five tracks here, we're on to season three. And uh, what is the first selection from that, uh, that controversial season? Well, season three came out in uh, two discs. Um, and so much of it, you know, we've listened to in, you know, one form or the other so far. Um, so really what I've tried to pick are, you know, the, the standouts when it comes to this. So the first one we're going to listen to is off of uh, disc one, and this is track 11. It's entitled under the knife and um you know this was the last thing we saw prior to the hiatus we got from the first you know uh number of episodes at the beginning of season three uh till when they picked up um the following uh late winter early spring ah yes that uh that lengthy break after the uh the six episodes in the fall all right so that the name of it is under the knife. Almost a little bit of a, uh, a John Williams vibe there, not in a, you know, in, in a theft sense or a derivative sense, but uh, just kind of there's a certain, I don't know, use of the drums there that certainly uh, makes me think of some of the John Williams stuff. A little bit. I don't um, get as much of a Williams vibe. You know, again, I, I associate that the most with, you know, the particular scenes, you know, Jack uh snipping the artery in um you know Ben's back um you know I I thought Sawyer was going to be killed off there at their mid-season point um you know they had done so much in the press that well Kate's gonna make a decision this year that's gonna be the big thing and you know 
she had gotten with Sawyer in the cage and I thought they were going to chop that off and, and leave us <laughs> hanging. And it, 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 I think that's part of what makes that an effective piece of music is it builds to the point where you could see, and again, they're taking from the earlier life and death theme, incorporating that in um, that he was going to die. And then we end with, you know, Kate doing what she does best and Jack telling her to run. Well, Pete, the last two uh, tracks from season three that you've put on your list certainly are ones that uh, ones that have great uh, meaning to me as a as a Charlie fan. He being my my favorite character from the first three seasons. I uh, see the first one here is uh, track eight from the second season three disc. Uh, it is, of course, greatest hits. What made you choose it? I think it really speaks to the the driving force in the second half of that third season. We get the prediction that, you know, regardless of, you know, what he does, Charlie's going to die. So we know we're driving towards that. And, and, you know, even when it was happening, you know, you, you wanted to avoid it, but you knew it had to happen. And his resignation and, you know, putting together his greatest hits of his life, you know, demanded a, a strong musical accompaniment. And uh, as always, Giacchino comes through. It's, I mean, it's just listening to that reminded me so much of that, that fantastic episode where it's kind of unclear what Charlie is writing in the beginning. And then, uh, you know, kind of, kind of becomes clear that he's writing his, uh, his goodbye letter. So certainly an excellent pick there, Pete. Thank you. Uh, then it's, uh, it's not the last track we're going to discuss, but the last track from season three, uh, what is it? This is from the finale. Um, which is entitled uh, Through the Looking Glass. Um, and this is the moment of Charlie's death. This is track 33, Looking Glass Half Full.
Pete, definitely a definitely a great track there. You know, such a such a reminder of uh, Charlie's sad end. Luckily, he's uh, the first one to come back in season six, and we get uh, get plenty of dollops of him along the way. So, <laughs> a nice a nice pick. There are a lot of other you know tracks on this two disc set for season three that follow that, but none that I feel that um, hits the emotional level of that. Um, I think that really wraps a bow on that season. Um, the final track we're going to give you for this uh, season one through three uh, compendium of Michael Giacchino's wonderful uh, soundtrack music is the end title of the show, which runs throughout all six seasons, but was not included on any of the soundtracks until seasons two and three. I think everybody kind of has the the memory of listening to that and it's kind of like in like decompress mode you know like oh what just happened what could the you know what's the latest theory what do you you know hey do you know any you know literary uh, references did you did you catch what was written on that book what was the name on that poster that kind of all that comes out when i when i hear that uh, that end title there as you're trying to figure out you know how to digest the the last 60 minutes Speak for yourself. I always use it as a timing mechanism um, for which to say bad Wobot. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, Pete, looking ahead to next week, uh, you're going to come back and share some uh, curated tracks from seasons four th- uh, through six. So I know, uh, I know I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure everybody else is looking forward to it as well. Uh, beyond that, uh, well, let's see, the week after that for Looking Back at Lost, uh, I'll be flying solo as I talk about uh, the last little bit of the show that, that it gives us, uh, the new man in charge. And then uh, you will return one final time uh, to conduct the exit interview, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, back beyond that, once looking back at Lost has been uh, has been safely packed away there at the church one last time with the, the glowing light taking us away. What uh, What other... Future projects are you working on for for August and September in the world of podcasting? Well, we're going to be taking on uh, Marvel's new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show that comes on in the fall. So looking forward to putting that together. Additionally, we are going to be doing um, a couple seasons of uh, a new project that you'll be looking back at. Uh, which we're calling Star Trek Essentials. Yeah, and that, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to both of those projects. What will be nice about Star Trek Essentials is... Uh, but you're looking back. <laughs> Wait, what? You said you're looking forward. Ah. But well, you're looking back. I'm looking forward to be looking back at these <laughs> Star Trek episodes. Kind of, some of those episodes will be in the uh, the looking back at Lost style, where it'll be me solo talking about an episode. Others, uh, you and I will be together breaking down the episodes. In uh, in still other podcast episodes, we'll uh, be doing commentary tracks. So I'm looking forward to looking back, to looking ahead, to uh, getting underway with that. We'll kind of do limited seasons, kind of around the uh, the Agents of Shield 
uh, podcast, which I think that's going to be fun, too. Hopefully that has kind of a lot of mythology and mystery and kind of the week to week stuff that that's the one thing that looking back at Lost could never do. It could never ask the mystery of the week it can never ponder what was going on the answer is you know all the evidence has been out there and maybe every question hasn't hasn't been answered by the show for lost but uh i'm looking forward to to both those projects one kind of you know the looking back and then the one kind of taking the the week to week uh view i mean listen i think the entire lost fan base has been looking for that next lost um, since it went off the air, um, is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that show? I think tonally it's completely different. But, you know, the idea here that there's going to be mysteries and ideas we're searching for and, hey, what did I just see, et cetera, et cetera, I, I think it's certainly um, plausible within the premise. Yeah, it'll be, hopefully it'll be a fun game to play and, you know, Worse comes to worse. If it's not very good like Revolution, we'll pull the plug on that one, too. I don't know that show you just mentioned. <laughs> well, I think a year from now, no one else will either because it probably, well, <laughs> won't survive the, the ratings for, for Revolution Season 2. But with that, Pete, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast as you have done every season. I'm glad in this kind of... Uh, uh, epilogue portion of the podcast these last couple of weeks as we as we wrap up. I'm glad that you're able to make a uh, heavy presence as well. Uh, happy as always. Excellent. So Pete and everybody else will talk to you again, both of us will, next week as we talk about the music from seasons four through six. Pete, thank you again so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye, one and all. <laughs>